Hello all, this is R.D. Kulik, the host of the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, the podcast for SeedSing.com. And it is, I, I finally, finally after weeks in the wilderness and screaming and yelling and talking about uh, the stupid mother things that are out there, I got the greatest other host back, Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. Doing good. It's good to hear that you're using the beat button. <laughs> I went I went running with uh, my buddy Kirk the other day, and he said, hey, it sounds like your brother got new toys because he was using the beat button on the <laughs> podcast last week. Yeah, that's, that's right. I guess I, instead of saying what I want to say, I guess I could just say, let's go, Brandon. No, let's not say that. Cause that, <laughs> that is so just a quick aside. That is the stupidest thing. And all these alt-right conservatives, all they do is they just go down to childish name calling. And it's like, what are you? Like my six-year-old daughter behaves better than these idiots who say that stuff. I drove by somebody who had that sticker on their car the other day. And all I can think of is how bad I felt for that person. It's just so childish and stupid uh sorry it drives me nuts no hey i was i was at the amusement park with my wife and son near us the other day and there was a teenager a kid probably not much older than my son wearing a let's go brandon shirt (laughs) so the kid can't even vote like that to me that's as bad as when i drive by these catholic churches and you see eight nine ten year old kids holding up sorry to be gross but holding up dead fetus pictures and Mm -hmm. talking about abortion is awful like just let people just just live your life stop being so angry about it well, the see, Ty, these people we're talking about, they're the monsters that walk among us. So totally. I don't have Man, to. You are a professional. <laughs> so I don't have to think about that. I want to think about the monsters that are on our movie screens that get us jazzed up or not jazzed up, but are memorable and scary. And, right. And I could have gone through some old I, at the end. I'm going to mention a few things, mainly sci fi movies that I did not put on here, like Aliens and Predator. And I'll talk about that at the end. But ex machina. Yeah, no, that's a good point, too. Is But these are just rip them up monster movies, things that are either well made or have a kick ass monster in it or monsters in it, as we're going to talk about a few or both. A combination of both. And as a matter of fact, I, I'm going to mention a movie I've probably mentioned on three of the last five podcasts uh, that I, I do. I encourage you and everyone else. It's a movie I forgot about for years, went back and watched. And it is, in my opinion, of this genre we're talking about, far and away the greatest monster movie. Okay. And then something else I do want to say is we don't have Frankenstein on this list. We I've don't. never seen Frankenstein. The, the old I've original seen, one. I've seen young Frankenstein, yeah. but I've, no, I've never seen like the old school Frankenstein. Really. Uh, we don't have uh, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Night of the, I'm talking about the originals, Night of the Living Dead, because we're the ex-millennial man, okay? We're going to talk about crap in our lifetimes. And I think a lot of times some of the movies, especially as we get into the second half, are, I, I think, superior to those movies because they're more modern, the technology's better. There's more you can show on screen, i.e. like Jaws. We could talk about Jaws, but it's it's a good monster movie. Don't get me wrong. But I mm-hmm. again, I'll explain near the end. But well, and like I just want to say too, real quick, you know, Night of the Living Dead, which I watched, you, you know, it, during this pandemic, it's really good. And this is just how I consume movies. It's a really good movie, but it's also, and I find this a lot with movies from the 50s, 60s, and even 70s. It's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. I think the movies we're mostly going to talk about, it's. Action, 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 action all the time. Yeah, and look, I want to see, there's a couple of these movies I'm going to mention that I saw in the movie theater. 
or, or I wished to see in the movie theater. Some of these are pandemic-era movies because I want to see these things on screen ripping the hell out of each other. And mm-hmm. we're, we're going to start here at the very top with the movie Jurassic Park. Now, we were supposed to record this last week, but like I said, a lot of different things. And the new Jurassic World movie had, was coming out. And you and I have both seen the two Jurassic World movies. I, Terrible. I, I well, I'm a, a little bit nicer to the second one than I am the first one. The first one is just downright. There's a babysitter who's annoyed with kids, and then a pterodactyl comes and takes her and rips her apart, and we're all supposed well, to applaud. <laughs> yeah, and there's also another point where they're at a Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville, and Jimmy Buffett gets attacked by a pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah. also. It anyway, sounds funnier my, my than it really is. Well, yeah. And my wife loves both of those movies, too, by the way. She loves all the Jurassic yeah. Park movies. And the second one, I think, has one of the greatest endings ever, as you see the dinosaurs out in our world. But let's be completely honest. The whole thing hinges on the plot of a little girl being a clone and letting all the dinosaurs out because they're like her. No, that's stupid. That's like me yeah. saying, hey, these murder or these January 6th insurrections are a bunch of white guys, so I should be with them. No, I, no, yeah. that's not how this is. So. They're dumb. Let me just put it that way. Those but, are and dumb. And Chris Chris Pratt oh. treats Velociraptors like they're dogs. Yeah. Like I my dog who people have heard bark on this podcast many times doesn't listen to me when he's barking. <laughs> and he's a twenty three pound mutt. I don't think Chris Pratt is very problematic in my opinion, but I don't think this character he created could really train Velociraptors and him and Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard deserves so much better because uh, she's such a better actor than Chris Pratt is. Yeah. And look, I know Jeff Goldblum's back and Sam Neill and Laura Dern and all that. They're going to be in it for like one scene. Right. I And to keep going on, neither of us have seen this movie. Okay. Nope. But I have I no he- intention to see it. I hear it's got some like right wing conspiracy plot about some company destroying the land to sell their pharmaceutical or their whatever. I, it, nowhere in that plot synopsis I told you did the word dinosaur come up. Nope. <laughs> so my point is, not going to see it, don't care about it, but you know what? Everybody else seemed to care about it because it made a ton of money. It's short. Not as much <laughs> as your favorite, though, Top Gun Maverick. No, 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 no. Speaking <laughs> of monsters. No, 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 but... So let's go back to the original Jurassic Park, though, and kind of what started it all. And I mentioned Jaws at the beginning. I've heard a lot of people say Jurassic Park is Jaws if you get to show the shark. Because Mm -hmm. one thing I'll admit is we went back recently and watched Jurassic Park, and I've always been lukewarm on that movie. But that that movie (laughs) has scenes in it that Mm -hmm. are incredible. So I'm going to let you talk about and defend it here. So, yeah, just like you, um, my wife is uh, Jurassic Park is her favorite movie of all time. She made that statement. You said we were supposed to record this last week. And I even last week I wrote about rewatching Jurassic Park because it's the first time I've seen it in probably 10 years. And she wants to see, you know, the new Jurassic Park and she likes all of them. And I remember when we watched it last week or two weeks ago, whenever that was, I was kind of hesitant at first. I'm like, oh, it's not going to hold up. This was made in 1993. I was, you know, 10 years old and I remember loving it as a 10 year old and I watched it again and it was good. But I, I don't, something about being, you know, I'm six months away from turning 40. So maybe I'm just becoming cynical like every other member in our family seems to do when they turn 40. It holds up. You look at the movie and yeah, you can see the CGI and it's easy to pick out. But you got to think the movie was made 30 years ago. So like CGI was still a relatively new thing when they made this movie. And 
the scene where Sam Neill and Laura Dern's character, first of all, when they're explaining to that bratty little kid, when Sam Neill's explaining to that bratty kid at the dig site about the Velociraptor's claws and how they're most more related to birds than anything else, that's a wonderful science lesson for anybody that wants to go back and check that out. I think it's fantastic. But when they actually get to Jurassic Park and you, Sam Neill, you kind of see the camera look at him and he's looking up and he's just got this his jaws agape and he's looking up and you see those brachiosauruses it it looked real and as a kid you know you have to have a favorite everything and the brontosaurus which now a brachiosaurus is my favorite dinosaur so getting to see that it was just amazing and then you go from there to you see the sick triceratops that lord dern's helping out but you want to talk about the monster stuff when so to me i obviously the scariest monster in that movie is a t-rex and when that T-Rex starts stopping and you see the water, you know, kind of rumble and you know something bad's happening. Or even with the goat, when the kids look out and like, oh, the goat's not there. And then you see a goat carcass fly by that. Again, that's the scariest thing. But I think rewatching it this time, when they're in the lab with B.D. Wong, who he's so good on Nora from Queens, by the way, people, if you're not watching that, just quick aside. But when the egg starts to hatch and Sam Neill's character goes up and essentially says to him, you're breeding raptors. That baby raptor is the scariest monster in that movie to me because that's what essentially causes all the problems because raptors are smart. They kind of know what to do. That's why I think it's so farcical that in these new ones, Chris Pratt can train them Mm because it's nonsense. They're dinosaurs. But that baby raptor is terrifying. And then you have the Dilophosaurus who shoots its squid ink or whatever it is all over Newman's face. Wayne Knight is the actor's name, but shoots it all over his face. I mean... In this rewatch, I was just as involved as I was when I was a 10-year-old kid. I was into it. I was scared, you know, when they showed the T-Rex's big uh, footprint in the in the mud. I was scared of that. When Jeff Goldblum tries to go and save that guy and he gets stomped by him. And then the dude gets eaten. I told my son he got eaten off the toilet. The guy wasn't going to the bathroom. <laughs> no. He just thought he could hide in a toilet and the T-Rex ate him off of that. It's such a good monster movie. And being a kid who adored dinosaurs when I grew when I was growing up, it's like, I, you and I have talked about on the podcast before how we both love the movie Logan because mm-hmm. it shows you what Wolverine's claws could do. Jurassic Park didn't do that with the blood or anything because it's a PG-13 movie. But when the T-Rex eats people, it eats people whole and rips them to shreds or eats a goat whole. When the Velociraptors are attacking, they attack with their big talons. That scene at the end where the raptors are fighting the T-Rex in the mm-hmm. middle of Jurassic Park, it's to me, it's my version of what you adore so much Godzilla versus King Kong. Like that is what I wanted to see. That is why I think this movie holds up. That is why I love Jurassic Park. And I think it's definitely one of the better monster movies that come out in a long, long time. Now, the thing I'm going to say about Jurassic Park, which is why I started off this uh, podcast with it is it shows their monsters. It shows they're unpredictable. It shows these yeah. are creatures that are extinct in a world that, they don't understand they're going to react the way they are. Whereas the Jurassic World movies is like, but they're dogs. We can train them. And, <laughs> yeah, and, no. that, and that is the separation. <laughs> there is, I mean, speaking of the Jurassic, the early Jurassic Park movies, the second one, The Lost World's no good. And famously, it's, we just rewatched it. It is so bad. And famously, <laughs> that movie is uh, Steven Spielberg directed that movie the same time he directed Schindler's List. Uh-huh. So he's basically directing The Lost World remotely. And his yeah, he, heart well, was obviously 
Yeah, there's interviews with him where he says he regrets doing it and didn't yeah. want to do it. And I read Julianne Moore took the role to A work with Spielberg, but she was also going through a divorce yeah. and she had to pay off. There's no Sam Neill. There's no Laura Dern no. in it. They bring the kids back, but they're in one scene. Richard yeah. Attenborough, it's like essentially remote also it's not a good movie. no i will say though there is a scene near the end of that movie that i'll never forget where you hear a dog barking and the family's sitting there and suddenly you don't hear <laughs> so it so bad and then a <laughs> yeah. kid comes up and you just see the t-rex with the cane of the dog hanging out of its mouth that scene kicks ass <laughs> and throws the dog house back onto the pool yeah yeah that was crazy too because that is preceded by the t-rex drinking pool water. yeah yeah and being being a dad now for 10 years mm-hmm. i said that t-rex is gonna get diarrhea from drinking <laughs> pool water. and then uh, jurassic park 3 i actually think is a is a vastly underrated movie i think that's a totally good agree. movie yep. but but anyway so speaking of which like showing the monsters for what they are the next movie i'm going to talk about is spectacle wise it's incredible acting wise it's terrible and okay. the problem is it could have had good, and it, it does have good actors in it. I just don't think it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. So, you know, it's going to look great, but it's a movie Pacific Rim. And yep. what I first off adore about that movie is somebody sat down and said, what if giant robots fought Godzilla's? Mm-hmm. And that's what that movie is. And the 100%. first, first 15, 20 minutes of that movie where they, launch out of Alaska to go fight that thing. And it is so good. And the movie, the Mm -hmm. scale of the movie looks good. I mean, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, there is a scene in the movie where one of the giant robots picks up a barge, a boat to use it as a billy club against a giant monster. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the action scenes in that movie are great. The problem is I don't think Charlie Hunnam's great in it. Uh, Charlie Day, who this is his first kind of movie, and you can tell the guy's going to be a movie star, but it's still a little weird, a little jarring. He's Charlie Kelly, and it's still just like a scientific version. Right. Uh, Idris Elba is chewing scenery like mad. I wish there was more of him in it. I can't Mm -hmm. remember the Asian actress's name. And then the movie, kind of the end of the story, I didn't really care for. And the whole explanation that they're aliens coming through a rift or whatever, fine, I get you have to do that, but the action sequences in this movie, and I saw this in the theater, is some of the best crap I've ever seen. I watched it at home, and it's one that I wish I had seen in the theaters. My, I think my only, and you're right, like, I, I thought Charlie Hunnam would be good, and Charlie Day would be good. And they, they aren't great. They're not bad actors. They just didn't have yeah. proper material. My only problem with that movie is that the action sequences are all at nighttime, and yes. it seems to be raining all the time. So it's, I, I understand that that's cheaper to film. But you figure, I mean, by that time, Guillermo del, Guillermo del Toro had done so much. He hadn't won his Oscars yet, but he had done, you would have figured he could have shot stuff. Yeah, we, he'd done Pan's Labyrinth by this time, which is another yeah, which movie is, we could have easily I, talked about. I thought about putting that on <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to end this half on a, a trio of movies, which is kind of a strange genre of film. And all these movies came out around the same time, but let's talk about the monster comedy movies. and. Mm-hmm. The first one, not well, the first one you could say is an incredibly high body count because we're talking about ghosts. But yeah. uh, the second two for for what they're kind of remembered as, there's an incredibly high body count in these movies. And these are truly, truly monsters. And we're going to end straight up comedies. Yes. So, too. so let's start one of off a musical comedy. Yes. So let's start off with the movie Ghostbusters. Now, Ghostbusters to me is always a fascinating film because it is definitely unique. It is definitely a movie like nothing that really, I mean, we did talk about the Ghostbuster toys and there was TV mm-hmm. shows and stuff like that, yeah. but that movie itself. 
And think at one time, Eddie Murphy was supposed to be in that movie. John Belushi. Ernie Hudson Hudson was great. No, he was. He was. (laughs) But what is it about you that when you think, oh, I'm going to have a good monster movie now, I'm going to sit and watch Ghostbusters? So, like, the cast is impeccable from Bill Murray to Harold Ramis to Dan Aykroyd to Ernie Hudson to uh, Annie Potts. Is that her name or is that the name of her character? Yeah, yeah. I think it's Annie Potts. Um, Designing women lady. Yeah, Martin Short. No, Martin Short wasn't in it. Uh, um, Not Martin Short, the guy who stopped acting, who was in that Ryan Reynolds commercial. Yeah, um, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Who played the sleazy club promoter in Streets of Fire. Yeah, that movie's insane also. But but no, like the the cast is impeccable. It's so well written, so well done. And then, yeah, with the monsters, like obviously you have Slimer. Slimer is incredible. Slimer is amazing. I had Slimer toys everywhere. I loved watching him go to hot dog carts in New York and and eat them up, you know, just, just devouring those hot dogs all the time. I, I love that about it. But to me, the Stay Puff Marshmallow was the biggest monster in that movie to me. Because you want to talk about a body count, I understand it's a marshmallow, but the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man was humongous. Mm-hmm. And he was just walking through downtown New York, just smashing stuff. But what made him it, I don't know if I need to give it a gender, what made the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man so menacing was that it had that creepy smile on his face <laughs> the whole time. And then as it's doing stuff, the smile seemed to get bigger and more menacing. And they just couldn't seem to, to fight it. And, you know, everything they tried eventually worked. And they were covered in marshmallow goo, which when I was a kid, that would have been like a dream of mine to be able to eat all that off of me. But Slimer is the the guy. He is the main monster. But so I'll disagree with you, Ty. The main monster was the United States government and the EPA. <laughs> that's true. It's kind of like the Simpsons movie with the EPA. Yeah. But, um, but no, that Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, that that stayed with me all these years. I had a stuffed animal like toy of that at, when I was a kid that I loved. And it's just, it's definitely the most frightening thing in one of my all-time favorite movies. And I think it's the scariest monster in that movie. When I talk about Ghostbusters being just a strangely unique movie in that way, and look, Ghostbusters 2 had its moments. Not my favorite film ever. I like it. Dan Aykroyd gets uh, gets some pleasure from a yes. ghost in that movie. Yes, he too, does. Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> and then the, I, I guess the best way I could call it, the Lady Ghostbusters movie, I actually thought was fine. I was just talking about this with Kirk and mm-hmm. another friend of mine, and we all three of us agreed we love that yeah. version of it. I have not seen the newest one, the Nor have I. Afterlife or whatever. I'll probably see it sometime. It just Ghostbusters itself is just strangely, strangely unique. Now, what I'm going to talk about is kind of two movies, a sequel that I don't think sucks, but it's wildly weird. The movies I'm talking about is the Gremlins franchise, Gremlins 1 and Gremlins 2, the new batch. And a lot of people attribute Gremlins as being a Steven Spielberg movie. He did not direct it, actually. Directed by Joe Dante, who, you know, he's a, he does, there's a podcast I listen to called The West Wing Thing, and uh, Dave Anthony from The Dollops on it, and then uh, Josh Olson, who wrote the movie History of Violence. He's on it, but he does another podcast with Joe Dante where they just talk about the movies they love. And Joe Dante's done, like he did the movie Small Soldiers, The mm-hmm. Burbs, Inner Space. I mean, this is, this is who he is. And it's, you know, Gremlins definitely has that Spielberg feel to it. But what's great about it, and again, if you guys don't know what the hell Gremlins is and you're tuning in the podcast, thank you for listening. But this weird creature who's all cuddly and nice, but you can't feed it after midnight, even though it doesn't really specify what the hell that means. You can't get it wet, and uh, it doesn't like bright lights. And so the movie, 
obviously, and I think I've played the scene before, the scene where Phoebe Kate's talking about the day she learned Santa Claus wasn't real. Was yep. <laughs> you know, her father dying and getting stuck in a chimney. That's creepy yep. in itself. But the whole movie is the small town, snowy area, and these monsters, these gremlins take over. And man, are they are they chaotic? Are they menacing? And at the end, when the the sunlight is melting them, I mean, it is gruesome. It is. I mean, this movie is gory. And there's a lot of old people in this New England town that meet their grisly end to these gremlins. It is. Spielberg, as we've talked about, has done some monster movies and things like that. But this is this is next level type stuff. It's been a very, very long time since I've seen these movies and I really enjoy these movies. What I enjoy most about Gremlins is I want to say it's The Onion or somebody, but they had a headline that said uh, whatever D'Angelo's famous album is, the one where he's you can tell he doesn't have any pants on the cover. It's like, don't let Gremlins listen. Don't let female Gremlins listen to this movie. Because they will get wet. <laughs> and also, for anybody who's curious about it, go watch the Key and Peel sketch that they do about Gremlins too, because it is fascinating. And at the end of the sketch, they say all of this stuff happened in Gremlins. Yes, too. yes, and that's what I was about to say. <laughs> Gremlins too. There's no Spielberg shine on that at all. This is all Joe Dante. This is all just mass. This movie has a Rambo riff in it, a Wizard of Oz, Marathon Man, Phantom of the Opera. One of the gremlins flies out of a window and it shows the Batman symbol. I mean, it is. And a lot of people have looked back and they say, kind of like I said with Ghostbusters 2, oh, it's not like the original. It's not good. This is this is a different kind of movie with this property. And I think it's great. I really do. I watched Gremlins 2 just a couple months ago. And I hadn't seen it probably since the 20th century. And I thought it was great. And I mean, Christopher Lee plays this like evil corporate scientist dude. It is just, it is, I mean, gremlins are chaos. That's what they are. And this movie is just pure and utter chaos. Yeah, I got to go back and rewatch both of them because I remember loving them as a kid, being terrified of the gremlins, but but loving the movies. And I love that the second one is called Gremlins 2, A New Band. That's (laughs) such a cool name. Yeah, it's it's a wild movie. You even have the brain gremlin. You have a gremlin mm-hmm. talking. I mean, it is it is a pure and utter chaotic film. Like if it yeah. was one of these movies that they put out on Netflix today, it'd be like the biggest star for months. It's just a hundred percent. It's just yeah. it. What it's not Gremlins, and that's what people are like. Oh, okay. So Ty, we're gonna end this on probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Honestly. <laughs> One of mine as well. It's definitely my favorite musical. Yeah, and I'm and first off, this movie musical was directed by Yoda. Oh, nice. Frank right. Oz directed yep. this movie, written by Alan Menken. I can't remember the other guy who went did all on. the music. Yeah, Alan, Alan Menken music, went yeah. on to do the the Disney Renaissance of the early nineties. I was going to say he does like all the good music. That, yeah. You know. Starred, uh, like we said, Rick Moranis. Uh, let's see, Steve Martin has a small part in it. Bill mm-hmm. Murray has an incredibly small part in it. John Candy mm-hmm. is in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just a murderer's row. And like you said, the music, some of the greatest music that's easily out there. And that's a Little Shop of Horrors. But talk to me about the monster moviness of this movie. The Little Shop of Horrors, Rick Moranis, I believe, owns like a, a, a flower shop. No, he works for a guy who owns a flower shop. He, yeah, he's a poor orphan. Put upon in that movie and everything, and he works for a guy who owns it. And he comes home with a Venus flytrap, and it's teeny tiny. And the Venus flytrap bites him one day, and it gets this taste for blood. And Rick Moranis essentially, you talk about body counts, the Venus flytrap keeps saying, Feed me, Seymour, feed me. And he keeps feeding it people. He's feeding this Venus flytrap people, and 
just like a quick little aside, you mentioned Steve Martin and Bill Murray. That's another kind of monster scene in that movie mm-hmm. as well, because Steve Martin is might be the worst dentist in the history of dentistry, taking all the nitrous for himself and like messing up people. But that's a great scene in that movie. But anyway, like as Seymour continues to feed the fly trap more and more, it gets bigger and it gets hungrier and it wants more and more blood. And essentially it's bigger than the whole store itself. And the Venus flytrap's name in the movie is Audrey too. My daughter, who is six, is named Audrey. Uh, I think this movie had something to do with it. But what I love about it is that he named it Audrey too because Rick Moranis' girlfriend in the movie is named Audrey. So he loves his Venus flytrap. And I don't want to say it's a love story between the two of them because eventually he does. I, I know the alternate ending ended mm-hmm. with Audrey too, like taking over the world. And <laughs> it was, you know, this crazy thing. But he ends by killing Audrey too. But what I love about Audrey too in this movie is... The bigger the Venus flytrap gets, the more it wants human blood and everything. The voice of Audrey 2 is incredible. And the song Feed Me Seymour might be my favorite song in the history of musicals that I've ever listened to in my life. And the way it looks is cool. It looks like they did it with practical props and like made this Venus flytrap out of whatever they had there. And it's just such a neat monster. It's a monster that I like. I know I shouldn't like because I know what it's doing is wrong, but I kind of side with while I'm watching this movie and I almost do want to see the version where it takes over the world because it's this crazy alien. But Audrey two is like, I mean, we have an Audrey two that we put up in our house every Halloween. That's how much we are invested in this and how much I love it. I mean, I, I name, you know, my wife and I named our daughter Audrey for many reasons, but I have to think subconsciously, this was one reason for me. And I just, I love the way Audrey 2 looks. I love the way Audrey 2 sounds. I love everything about Audrey 2 and Little Shop of Horse. Well, it's the musicals based off of a old Roger Corman movie called The Little Shop of Horrors, which okay. uh, has, it's one of the first uh, movies that has uh, Jack Nicholson. In, or, yeah, Jack Nicholson. He plays the Bill Murray role, right? Yeah, I believe so. Originally, yeah. It is, it is a comedy per se, and it supposedly was written about like heroin addiction, oh, and okay. that's what it's supposed <laughs> to represent. And at the end, Seymour does jump, jump into the plant himself to do it. In the movie, you talk about that alternate ending, which is on the DVD. You can also just go to YouTube and watch it. Yeah. And there is, if you go watch the play itself, the play ends this way. The, lo- the last song is called uh, Don't Feed the Plants. And it, it is. It, it kills Audrey. Seymour jumps in. It grows big. It even, you know, during the song they talk about, it's attacking Cleveland. It's attacking Des Moines. And it's attacking your theater. And it just goes around the city, just, just destroying everything. And that ending, I think, is great. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand why they didn't go with it. And the end of the movie is still great. And let's not forget, yeah. at the very end of the movie, the last shot is a little tiny Audrey 2 in their flower garden. So yep. the monster's still going to win anyways. <clears throat> Seriously, people, if you don't know or haven't watched or listened, just go listen to the song Feed Me Seymour. It's incredible. Hello all, this is RD, and I want to take a minute here just to talk to you about how you can support this great podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, all the work we do on SeedSync.com, and especially all the hard work that Ty does bringing you the sports knowledge and the pop culture knowledge that you just so deeply want, and how you can support me bringing you all the political knowledge that you definitely do not want. We have a Patreon. You can go to 
patreon.com and look up the X millennial man podcast. And for just five bucks a month, guys, you are going to continue to be able to give you all this great content, give you the things that we are also craving that we know we need. And then in addition to that, we're going to be launching a Patreon only podcast called the X millennial man political report, where we're going to go through kind of more of a deep dive on my personal thoughts and other people's thoughts on what's going on politically around our country. That way we can keep the X millennial man as your place where you're going to go to find out all the most important things. Guys, we created this, Ty and I did, because me being from Generation X and he being a millennial, honestly, I was tired of hearing about Citizen Kane's the greatest movie ever. It's a good movie, don't get me wrong, but we kind of got tired of, wait, nothing since Citizen Kane can be better? I mean, come on, Back to the Future is way better. To some of us, Fast and the Furious movies are way better. This is a place where we can talk about that stuff and where you're going to get that, again, not opinion, true fact of what is the greatest ever when it comes to music, sports, politics, all that stuff is SeedSing.com and the X millennial Man podcast. So come on over to Patreon. Five bucks a month is all it is. And hey, if there's something more you need from that, come hit us up. Tell us. You need t-shirts? We can give you t-shirts. You need handshakes? Maybe we can give you that. But come on over to Patreon, the X millennial Man podcast, and I'm going to get you back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, this is a we've talked about a lot of uh, crazy things, tearing up the screen, being extinct dinosaurs, being crazy alien weird monsters, being robots, being uh, uh, singing monsters. But we're going to go this second half is more where there's monsters in these movies, but there is a lot about the, the humanity or the humans or how, quote unquote, how humans sometimes can be their own monster and how this how we've used this genre to kind of represent that. So the first movie I'm going to start off with, because everybody's like, why in the holy hell have you not talked about Godzilla versus Kong, which I love. I am very on record of absolutely loving that movie. But. I'm not going to talk necessarily about Godzilla versus Kong because I've said enough about it. I want to highlight another movie, which I actually think is the greatest Godzilla movie of all time. I came to this during the pandemic because somebody was talking about it, but it's a Japanese film named Shin Godzilla. So I'm going to be your whole clothes and fedoras here now, Ty. As I said, I never <laughs> saw this and I only heard of it while doing research for this. Podcast. It's a fairly recent movie. It came out in 2016 and it has the very classic Godzilla uh, you know, the nuclear fallout and stuff. But this is off of the Fukushima nuclear disaster during, I want to say it was in like 2012 or something like that. But what I like about Shin Godzilla, first off, the monster's great. At one time, it basically unhinges his jaw and just vomits out atomic waste and all this stuff. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a good looking movie. It's not like the old, Godzilla guy in a rubber suit, which I love those movies too. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Yeah. But the thing in particular about Shin Godzilla that's really good is the movie goes into how the government deals with Godzilla. So you see all like the, there's like a government agency or all these people like, oh, oh, Godzilla's here and they have to do their paperwork and they have to do all this other stuff. And the movie's almost like a political farce about how just ineffectual your government is around any big disaster. It just uses mm -hmm. Godzilla as that big disaster. And it's really, it's kind of cool. Again, it is a subtitled movie, so you have to sure. deal with that. But I, I wanted to give a shout out to Shin Godzilla. No, and I've always been fascinated about that because, like, I will sit here and make fun of the first 
Star Wars prequel, how it's, you know, like what the Simpsons did with uh, their Star Wars spoof, where it's just like a person, a robot comes in and sits down and reads the paper, mm-hmm. puts his glass. That's how I feel. But I, I, that's how I feel about the prequels. But like, I've always been fascinated to think in a world with a Godzilla or in a world with a Jurassic Park is like the political figures, how they would deal with that. I know this is a very divisive movie, but that's what I enjoy about the movie. Don't look up. Mm-hmm. Is like you see oh, how I love Don't to, Look Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like you see how these people have to deal with a just apocalyptic scenario. And it's always they have no idea what they're doing. And I appreciate when people do stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I'm this is I find myself doing this podcast week to week and thinking to myself, well, I have not seen this movie because I should. And there's hell, there's even a sequel to this movie. But you talked about A Quiet Place. Tell me why the hell I should go see this movie. It's one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. Um, and I we just watched the second one maybe a month ago on one of our quarantine date nights, as I call them. And the monsters in this movie are horrifying. They look like some crazy spider, tarantula, alien things with these humongous talons that can rip through anything. And they can't see, but they can hear. And that's another monster in this movie is, for me, and... Props to whoever directed the first one and John Krasinski for directing the second one. I believe he wrote both of them. But not only do you have these scary alien monsters, they point that out in the second one. It's not a spoiler, but it's at the very beginning of the movie that they just start coming down and attacking everybody where they hear sound. But that's the other thing is sound is used so well in, in, in these movies. You know, they, they have a deaf daughter, and so they have to sign everything. But there's a scene in the first one where... John Krasinski takes their son and they're under a waterfall and the kid can finally scream and you like feel this relief. But then anytime they're back on their farm where they live, any little noise, these monsters are so quick to react and so quick to get on there. Like there's a scene in the second one also. Cillian Murphy's in the second one. He was fantastic in it, but he has his own camp that he lives in and the family's trying to get there because they have this baby that was born in the first movie and he doesn't want anybody coming. He wants to live by himself. So he has tin cans wrapped around a string and the family trips a wire and those tin cans come down and then the son gets clamped by a bear trap on his foot and all that noise makes these monsters come down and these monsters are attacking and you don't see them in the first one until close to the end and they're horrifying but in the second one they're there they're there in a daylight there's a scene where you find this community that's off an island where they can talk and do everything and the monsters end up attacking that because they got on through a boat so not only are these alien monsters scary in the movie, but the way they use sound is another monster. And I find that really, really intriguing how they pull that off. Yeah, I, do. I just I just need to sit down and see it. I think it's like... <laughs> and they're like night. 90 minutes long, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a... Like they're not long movies. So here's a movie I did see. And I remember I very specifically went to go see this movie because this was off mic. You and I were talking about uh, the Star Wars dorks and stuff like that. So this was in the run up to the first uh, sequel movie, The Force Awakens that J.J. Abrams directed. And they were going through all the uh, the casting at the time. And you had this weird dude from the TV show Girls was going to be on it. And you knew you were going to have Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and all of them. You know, Daisy Ridley I'd never heard of. And everybody talked about this John Boyega, who was in this movie Attack the Block. As a matter of fact, he has like a lightsaber type thing sometime in this movie. He does. So I went, I go, oh, I want to watch this movie. And it's one of my favorite movies ever for a few reasons. And this goes back to when we were talking about Shin Godzilla. You know, he and his buddies, I think the movie starts off with them mugging someone. Yeah, they're all bad dudes. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they're delinquents. And then... You know, the movie goes through these these creatures, which I think the design of these creatures is great. It's like just basically this 
black furry shadow with uh, glowing Glowing yellow yellow eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's taking over his housing tenement. And during the course of the movie, it becomes this kind of like whole treatise on how the government has failed people like him and how Mm -hmm. he blames them for the drugs in his community, the crimes in his community. He blames them for the alien invasion. And Mm -hmm. I I don't want to give anything away, but the 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 last part of this movie is is excellent. But you're the one that put it on there. What do you got to say? Well, no, it's like you said, like they don't, this is another, you know, Jaws-esque thing where they don't show the aliens until closer to the end of the movie. But when you see them, yeah, it's like these little furry creatures with glowing yellow eyes and big gnarly teeth. And they do damage to people in this movie. <laughs> they eat these people. They destroy these people. And you're right. It is kind of like a, a take on the government and how they, you know, infected this, this town, this, this, I don't, I, I don't know what to call it. I, I don't know if it's a ghetto, but it's kind of getting close to a ghetto-ish type of town. And it's essentially, we're going to put these aliens here to take care of everybody. And John Boyega is like, you can see the star quality in him in this movie. And Nick Frost is in the movie and he's like this stoner dude with long hair. And I believe not the new one, but the last Doctor Who, she's like the main female in this movie whose house they stay in and try and help out. But I remember watching this movie on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever I watched it on and just being blown away and like thinking, what an idiot I am for not seeing this in the theaters. Why didn't I know about this movie until I heard about this new Star Wars movie that was coming out? It's just an amazing, you know, work of independent film art. I, I, I adore this movie. It's a movie that I think people who know it talk about it a lot. I don't think enough people know it, though. And yes, Absolutely. That's where I go. And speaking of which, another movie I don't think a lot of people know about is a 2006 movie uh, called The Host. Now, again, this is me being the Pierre of this, but this is another subtitled movie, okay? But it's directed by the guy who did Snowpiercer and Parasite. Yeah, Bon Joon-ho. So, and it's one of, I I thought it was his first movie. It's the first movie that he kind of got wider acclaim for. It's actually his third movie, but it's... um, Oh, wow. Basically, it's another one of those, you know, the governments are the bad guy. And I think the whole movie was inspired by some Korean mortician was talking about how the government forced them to dump all these chemicals into the sewers just to get rid of it. The thing with this movie, first off, the monster in this movie, this like weird tadpole creature with legs is is excellent looking. I mean, it is really good. But this is another one of those. And, you know, if you've seen Parasite, you know about I, the guy, one of the leads of Parasites in this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a father just trying to keep his family together while a monster is attacking everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and the government trying to cover it up and all these other things. It is it, it, the host. I, I do. I really encourage people go seek this movie out. It's a great, great movie. It's about two hours long and just to see the monster itself. But Everybody kind of discovered Bon Ho probably through Snowpiercer or especially mm-hmm. through Parasite. But like when we were talking about Giel, Giel del Toro, sorry, I can't talk. Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro, <laughs> thank you. Who, who has been on Always Sunny in Philadelphia, by the way. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> we talk about him and you could see early in his career that this is a guy that's going to win a damn Oscar one day. You watch this movie and you're like, wow, if this guy made a serious movie where let's get rid of the the cool looking monster and just make people the monster. He's going to win an Oscar, which is what he did. I kind of feel like a phony with this because I love parasite and I love Snowpiercer. Those are like two of my favorite movies and I've never seen the host and people always talk about how good it is. And it's like you said, people say this is his coming out party being like this dude can, he really knows what he's doing behind the camera. 
So, Ty, with all of humanity being the real monsters and all that other stuff and tons of movies we could talk about, the movie I want to end on, which is a very popular movie, but it's a movie a lot of us have heard of. As a matter of fact, I was one of those people, and I did not see it till probably about a year ago. And that's the 1982 John Carpenter movie, The Thing. Now, I've never seen it. 1982. Okay. E.T. Blade Runner, Star Trek 2. I mean, you want to, for like genre film, and I know I'm missing a whole bunch of them, but it, it's, it, this movie, again, without, I mean, it, it's basically a bunch of dudes in a, in a research station in Antarctica, and then some weird alien thing comes in that can, and the effects of this movie are incredible. Like the dog, just talking about the dog and all this other stuff, but it's them trying to figure out, oh, who's the alien now? Because it keeps, infecting these people and this is a remake of an old movie from the 1950s which again i've seen that too and it's a 1950s sci-fi movie but this really leans into just the paranoia and that's where a good monster movie is like not knowing who the monster is and knowing that it is going to kill you and that's what the thing is and it is i mean kurt russell wilford brimley you know, who was, I think, like 40 when he made this movie in Look 70. Keith David, when we were talking about They Live and beating up Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, The Thing is a movie you should seek out. Everyone should seek this movie out. Well, and that's the thing with the, these last, because I'm glad you say these last two, because these are movies, being a fan of sci-fi and stuff like that, people, I've always told me I need to watch, and I haven't watched them, and it's my turn to pick the movie this week on our quarantine date night, so I wouldn't be shocked if I end up writing about the host or writing about The Thing, because, I mean, The Thing is one of these classic, classic movies that everybody talks about, everybody says holds up, and I I need to watch this movie. There's so much to be said, and I, I didn't want to just run down the plot, just the feeling of this movie. It is uneasy the whole time. Mm. And it's one of those few movies where... It, you know, like if we wanted to talk about horror movies, something like Friday the 13th, and it's like, why are you running towards him? Why are you doing this? This is a movie where everybody's making bad choices, but you understand why they're making yeah. these bad choices. And so, and speaking of which, I was going to say, like, we didn't talk about uh, some of the big sci-fi ones because things like Aliens, yeah, it's a great monster. It's all that other stuff. For some reason, being in outer space separates it for me. I mean, the movies we talked about were all here. They were all, you know, something coming here. And I could have easily brought up Predator, but Predator, and I know they have that Predator prequel coming out on Disney Plus of all damn channels. (laughs) But um, Predator's a cool movie. I think Predator 2 is another underrated sequel, but it just, I I don't know, it didn't have the feel. Predator is a movie about, about waiting. About looking, you know, it's it's. Uh, I I know I'm reaching when I'm no, and like I agree with you, like it's not reaching. Like sci-fi is its own is its own thing, horror is its own thing, and I would say even monster movies are their own thing. Like I wouldn't call King Kong a horror movie; I'd call it a monster movie. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call Godzilla a horror movie; I'd call it a monster movie. I wouldn't call Attack the Block a sci-fi movie; I'd call it a monster movie. So that's how I when you gave me this idea, stuff like. Ex Machina or even something like War of the Worlds or yeah. iRobot or stuff like that never came to mind for me. A movie that I used to make fun of you all the time when we lived together, Metropolis, mm-hmm. that never came to mind for me. So I, I get exactly what you're talking about. 
when I first thought of this, Ty, there was a movie that actually immediately came to mind. And I, I'm going to tell everybody out there, if you're going to watch this movie, just watch the first half and make up whatever happens in the second half. But it was a, a film from 2016 called Colossal. And I've never heard of this movie. It, it is such a great concept. So Anne Hathaway plays the lead. Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis play basically the leads in this. And Dan Stevens is in this movie. Tim Blake Nelson is in this movie. But supposedly Anne Hathaway plays this. I think she's like a, a publicist that works in New York or something. But she's an alcoholic. And every time she gets drunk, a super monster comes into Seoul, Korea and destroys the city. Oh. <laughs> and it's it's and it's it looks great it's really well done the movie goes from being this kind of black comedy weird thing into jason sudeikis being an abusive boyfriend kind of weird a-hole and all this stuff and the end of the movie just falls off the rails but it was a movie i wanted to bring up to people because i think it's a great idea i think it uh again anne hathaway jason sudeikis they're great actors it's it just man you want to talk yeah. about a movie that falls apart if uh, it just does but you know i did want to kind of if we're introducing people to new movies throw that one out yeah no i'll watch the first hour of that and then <laughs> it, it's a bummer because it sounds like a really good idea and they probably just you know either had got too many notes or just tried to stitch together an ending yeah and it's you know jason sudeikis has kind of two personas in my mind he has their buddy and always sunny god what's his mm -hmm. name the the um, extra member of the crew and then there's uh ted lasso so yeah this is him taking his always sunny character and making it, you know, uncomfortable. But totally. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, Ty, if somebody needs to find you to go save the city from a save St. Louis from a rampaging monster attack, where are they going to find you? You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Ty Kulik, T Y K U L I K. That's all lowercase. Uh, more importantly, read my stuff on SeedSing, S E E D S I N G dot com. I do the pop culture and sports stuff on there. NBA drafts coming up day after we record this. I'll have my prospect rankings and then I'll have a reaction on Friday. So you can check that stuff out there. Again, SeedSing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I mentioned before, and I'm going to be back on it again next week, but my buddy Glenn Adams has a podcast called Chucklehead Chat. You can find that where you find podcasts. And I've been on a couple episodes of that and look for a new one coming out relatively soon that I'll be on. But most importantly, you can hear me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, rate, review us. Tell your friends about us. Check out Patreon. Write review every anything you can. Just write reviews so more and more people can find us. And as I like to end all of these, get your booster shot. Get vaccinated you and get your booster shot. We need better gun reform in this country. And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I can spend an hour going over everything you just recently, you just talked about here. But uh, <laughs> yeah. let's repeat the Ex Millennial Man podcast seedsing dot com. I, I mean. I, I'm not going to complain about any gun legislation that's coming forward, even if it's nearly pointless. But it's, uh, it's, yeah, yes, obviously something needs to happen. the The door was never locked, so the police were lying to you, and uh -huh. you know people want to know why people say defund the police when the police value themselves over the lives of 19 children and two adults. That's why. So yeah. that's that's what we'll say on that. Uh, again, the real monsters are the police, let's say that. So, 100%. <laughs> so with all that being said, we thank you for years. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast? Remember, we are here every Saturday for free where you find your fine podcasting shows. And with that, I'll talk to you next week, Ty. Sounds good.
The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.